You're listening to WVEWLP 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's Community Radio, also streaming online at WVEW.org. This is the Vermont for Mystery Hour, a show exploring the Green Mountain State's strange past and present through stories that pique your curiosity and make your neck prickle. Beat the Sunday Scaries with me every weekend, broadcasting Sundays at 7 p.m., or catch the rebroadcast on Thursday nights. The opinions expressed on the Vermont Ver Mystery Hour are those of the host and guests, and don't necessarily reflect those of WVEW 107.7 FM. Today's programming at WVEW is sponsored in part by Shippy Auto, located at 753 Brattleboro Road in Hinsdale, New Hampshire. Independently and locally owned since 1995, Shippy Auto provides automotive repairs, preventative maintenance, fleet services, New Hampshire state inspections, and free loaner cars. Specializing in Subarus and servicing all other SUVs, cars, and trucks, Shippy Auto serves the tri-state area. To learn more, visit ShippyAuto.com or call 603-336-5100. WVEW thanks Shippy Auto for supporting community radio. September 13th, 1848, started out much like any other day. 25-year-old Phineas Gage awoke at his boarding house and walked three-quarters of a mile to the job site where he worked as a foreman for the Rutland and Burlington Railroad. The crew was working in Cavendish, blasting out a ledge to make room for the track. One of his jobs was you would put in gunpowder and sand and you would tap it down before the fuse was lit that would cause the explosion that would break up the rock, which they were doing to get the railroad through. Something must have drawn his attention, and he turned, and his... Um, tamping rod, the butt of the tamping rod was in the hole where they would have tamped this down and it must have hit something, sparked a charge and it exploded and it went through entering under his left cheekbone and coming out the top of his head. He was thrown quite a distance, possibly about a hundred feet, and the rod was covered in blood and brains. But somehow, Gage reportedly regained consciousness and spoke to the workers who'd gathered around him. He even insisted on walking himself to the cart that would bring him into town. And the doctor who came from Proctorsville to tend to him, Dr. Williams, couldn't believe at first that the rod had really gone all the way through Gage's skull, or that he could have survived such a blow. His accident would appear in the Boston headlines soon after, and we're still talking about it today. Welcome to the Vermont for Mystery Hour. I'm Meg McIntyre. After Dr. Williams examined Gage, the local doctor was brought in. 
And from then on, it was really Dr. Harlow's case. One, because Harlow was the physician for Cavendish Village, which is where Gage was taken. But fortunately for Gage, the training that Harlow had was really spectacular for the day and age. He had trained in Philadelphia. He had he actually had seen how brain injuries were treated like this. Um, believe it or not, there were a lot of brain injuries during that time because people would be kicked in the head from a horse, that type of thing. There was a lot more brain injury. That's Margot Caulfield of the Cavendish Historical Society. She used to work with brain injury patients and now leads the Society's annual Phineas Gage walking tour. So you can imagine she's told this story quite a few times. After Gage's accident, everyone was astonished at his survival, but few were optimistic he'd truly recover. Few except Dr. Harlow, that is, who had an advanced knowledge of infection and how to stop it. What's interesting is that uh, he did go into a coma, which is not surprising. A coffin was being built for him. His family, when Dr. Harlow said, you know, I think I know what's wrong here. I think I know how I can take care of it. The family was like you know, just let him be, he's been through enough, that kind of thing. Um, but he did understand infection, and there was a hole where some's gross, but where pus and stuff could leak through. The damage to Gage is probably a lot more extensive than we fully grasp. Harlow describes how he was, he was just fascinated. Thankfully, Dr. Harlow used what was then referred to as aseptic technique, meaning that he washed his hands before touching a patient. He cleaned Gage's wound and picked out the smallest bone fragments. And, miraculously, Gage did recover. But he didn't quite seem like himself. He went back to live with his family. Now, we have talked to relatives, these would be distant cousins of Gage, whose family members, certain stories had been passed down in the family. And one of the things that was really said was, when he came home, he was quite a handful, and his mother actually wrote to the other relatives and said, can you come, can you help me with him, and so forth. And they themselves had their own things that they were doing, and to be perfectly honest, I'm sure Gage was quite a handful. I'm sure he was. We know today that different parts of the brain are associated with different functions, and the frontal lobes control functions like social behaviors, speech and language, judgment, and, yes, the way we express our personalities. That's where Gage was injured, and his case was an important one for understanding how injury affects the brain. The family realized Gage couldn't stay at home, but he also couldn't keep working for the railroad. For all intents and purposes, he was minus an eye, but he was a very handsome man, and strong, able-bodied 25-year-old when he was injured. So he goes out and and has to financially make ends meet, and he, he does show himself as a curiosity. There is a belief that he was at Barnum's sort of curiosities in New York City, but we do not have definitive proof of that. We've, that's what's been passed down. Ultimately, he worked at the Hanover Inn, what we call the Hanover Inn today, he was driving a coach. He worked there for about a year and a half before agreeing to go down to Chile to continue as a driver there. He took a ship from Boston to the Horn of South America and settled in Valparaiso. And it was a bustling port, 
so Gage would have driven people from many different countries and cultures. Uh, he was exposed so constantly and consistently to new things. You know, can you imagine you're a stagecoach driver, all your people are different, there are all these languages being spoken. Yes, there was the English community down there that he could speak with, but chances are he was picking up stuff all the time. He had to have achieved some level of ability to be appropriate because he was taking customers on the stagecoach. Still, living in Valparaiso could likely be overwhelming and disorienting for him at times, too. Caulfield noted that people with brain injuries often experience something called sham rage, a sudden aggressive reaction or lashing out that's thought to be caused by malfunctioning hypothalamus, and it seems like Gage struggled with this while he was in Chile. He stayed there for about seven years before making his way up to Northern California to rejoin some family members. When he arrived in San Francisco after having been down in South America, his mother really implied that um, she talked about exposure, and, and that wasn't clear. Was he homeless by the time he left? Um, was that unsavory elements what he was exposed to? The one thing that was happening was that he appeared to be having seizures, so that he was one of the characteristics you see with somebody with that type of head injury is epilepsy. He was able to work at a farm for a time, but his seizures continued to grow worse and eventually became what killed him about 11 and a half years after his accident. Gage's skull is still preserved at the Warren Anatomical Museum at Harvard, and every year around the anniversary of his injury, the Cavendish Historical Society offers a free guided walking tour of the local sites he went to, including the boarding house where he stayed and Dr. Harlow's surgery. You can even see a piece of medical equipment from Harlow's office, which Margot unearthed in the collection this year. She wouldn't tell me what it was, though, so you'll just have to take the tour yourself to find out. She says the fact that Gage is still remembered and talked about today is a testament to the impact of his case on brain science. Brain injury is really, really a challenge. It's really, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. But there is a way more hope today, and I think the gauge in some ways shows that even without the rehab and outpatient rehab and the interventions of modern medicine, he, he continued to live and was able to go back and work and live independently and certainly achieve success in certain ways. So I think he was definitely an extraordinarily resilient man, but also the times required that. It wasn't like his family had the finances that he could be, you know, live in the upstairs bedroom for eons and have mates and whatever weight on him. That just was not an option for him. And there was no such thing as rehab for him. He provided a big key to the puzzle of how the brain operates. And with all history, you have to look at it in, within its context of time and place. And the ideas that were circulating about that time of the human brain, today we look at and go, that is, how could they even begin to believe that? But, you know, we had the advantage of really learning from what Gage went through. The Cavendish Historical Society's Phineas Gage Walk and Talk 
is free to the public and is scheduled for September 12th from 2 to 4 p.m., starting at the Cavendish Historical Society Museum on Main Street. The tour is about a mile and a half to two miles round trip, and the organization also offers a self-guided walking tour of the sites from Gage's story, which is available on its website or at the Society. For more information, visit cavendishhistoricalsocietynews.blogspot.com. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Senator Bernie Sanders. As Vermonters, we should be very proud that we are leading the nation in terms of the percentage of our people who are vaccinated. That's great, but we still have more work to do. Too many young people in Vermont, ages 18 through 30, have not yet received the COVID vaccine, and that's not good. Please remember, over 98% of the people in hospitals today because of COVID were unvaccinated, and they are increasingly young people. Don't let that be you. Get vaccinated, be safe. Thank you. This is Clay. Join me every Saturday afternoon on Clado's Big Rock Candy Mountain as I follow the bluebird through seven decades of rock, jazz, folk, country, and beyond. Every Saturday from noon to two here on WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for Murder, She Rates, the review segment for mystery lovers, and this week, I want to talk about the PBS masterpiece series, Grantchester. Set in the 1950s, the show follows Sidney Chambers, an Anglican vicar in the village of Grantchester. Sidney is trusted and respected in the village, but as a young, handsome man of the cloth, he often finds himself in gray areas when it comes to matters of faith and love. After a parishioner comes to him insisting that a local man's suicide was really a murder, he wants to get to the bottom of the truth and crosses paths with police inspector Jordy Keating. Their relationship gets off to a rocky start, but Jordy soon realizes that because Sidney is a vicar, people feel more comfortable telling him their secrets and fears. They decide to work together, and they form a close bond along the way, even as Sidney's sleuthing activities draw disapproval from his higher-ups and Mrs. McGuire, the vicarage housekeeper. This show definitely scratches the cozy mystery itch, and I've been craving a good British mystery for a while after exhausting most of my streaming options. I particularly like that it's a period piece because it really transports you to another time and place. After I watched the first couple of episodes, I remember thinking it was like Downton Abbey meets Miss Marple, even though it's in a different era. Unlike some cozy mysteries, Grantchester puts a lot of time into developing its recurring characters, with storylines centered around their personal lives and tribulations. Sidney is tangled up in a star-crossed love affair that can never be, his curate Leonard Finch struggles to come to terms with his identity as a gay man and his duties as a man of religion, and Geordie struggles to truly be there for his family. I really like the main actor in the series, James Norton, who plays Sidney. He really strikes a balance between the vicar's boyish, almost mischievous side and his thoughtful, kind side. Apparently, in later seasons, a new vicar is introduced, but I haven't gotten that far into the story yet, 
so we'll cross that bridge when we get there. The side characters are also interesting and well-portrayed, especially Amanda, Sydney's love interest, and his curate, Leonard. Overall, I'd give Grantchester 3.8 out of 5 skulls. If you've seen it too, reach out and let me know what you thought at vermystery at gmail.com. That's vermystery at gmail.com. That about wraps it up for today's show. Thank you to Margot Caulfield of the Cavendish Historical Society for joining me on this episode. I also got some information from a VT Digger article by Mark Bushnell. And on another note, this is our last episode of season two. Thank you so much for coming along on this ride with me. The show will be on hiatus now until October, when we'll launch season three with a whole slew of new stories just in time for spooky season. In the meantime, I'd love any suggestions you have for topics you want to see in the new season. I really appreciate everyone who listens, and I want to make sure that it's content you'll enjoy and learn something new from, so please do reach out. The Vermont Vermystery Hour is written, produced, and hosted by me, Meg McIntyre, with research help from Matt Bruno. Our cover art is by Ginny Stuce, and our theme music is written and performed by me and my pal Nikki Seafried. If you liked today's episode, check out the show wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to leave a rating or a review. You can also follow the Vermont Vermystery Hour on Twitter at VermysteryPod. I'll see you all in October, and until then, keep beating those Sunday scaries, friends. <laughs>